Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. We as a church family get together again on this Sunday morning, and it's such a joy to me always to consider the fact that the Spirit of God moves on your heart to want to be here and worship the Lord in this way, where we gather around the Word. We are able to worship the Lord with singing, and you've done such a great job with that. I love it as our church sings and lift up the name of our Lord that way. We can worship the Lord in how we serve in so many various ways, nursery and cleaning and trustees and deacons and youth workers. I mean, so many different ways that are, we're able to serve the Lord. We can, we can worship the Lord in giving. We can do that, and we get to do that. We can be prompted to want to do that. We don't pass a plate at this time in our church services, but uh, we do have a, a box out in the lobby. You can participate that way. Many do so online. There are instructions in the bulletin about that, but uh, we get to do this. We get to do this, and there's something that motivates us to want this, and it's because we know there's an answer here that goes deep. We're studying the book of Proverbs, and we want to go deeper. And Proverbs helps us think. It helps us to go deeper. And let me start today in this process of going deeper into thinking scriptural thoughts as it applies to life. Let me start by just asking this question. What will make you happy? Seriously. What will make you happy? Genuinely so. Satisfied, complete. Or maybe there's this sense in your mind, this is what I was made for. <laughs> maybe out on the, on the river fishing, this is what I was made for. Or uh, being able to hold that brand new baby. Or uh, winning the NBA championship. <laughs> there's more to life than that. But what will make you happy? What will it take to make you genuinely happy? We have a need to be happy. We're made to be happy. We have that capacity. We know it's possible, but how is that going to happen? The problem is we aren't happy. There's a void, there's an emptiness in our culture and our ways. And we're looking for it in all the wrong ways, right? So we're going to seek to address that question. What will it take to make you happy, make me happy? And I want you to know that I'm excited about what we're addressing this morning in the Scriptures from the Word. And, and I know when you hear it, you'll be excited to, as well. And, and, and here's the subject that will, will, it's just so exciting. The subject is the fear of the Lord. Doesn't that excite you? How many of you would be honest with me and say, I'm really happy about that. I'm excited about this. Not many. Well, I truly do hope to change your opinion and in the process answer that question, what will it take to make you happy? There, here's, a, here's a warning. I just need to let you know. I've been working on this for a number of weeks, this study, and digging in deeper with this. 
And this is going to be a fire hose today. There's just going to be so, so much coming at you. So if your best way is to listen, just to take it in and to sit there and comprehend, great. If you want to follow along and scribble down notes and have points where you can come back and study later, great. If, if you want to listen today and then watch online later or listen to a podcast with this, that's another way. But there's just going to be so much, I don't know that we'll be able to take it all in. In fact, it's taken me so much on this that, in fact, just... Just this morning, it all came together and go, yes, this is it. Lord, would you help us in comprehending your word and this vital truth of the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text, one verse, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning or the starting point, or this is, this is what it's all about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and remember we said that Proverbs has a way of taking two thoughts and putting them together and coming up with a massive thought. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Remember as we studied Proverbs 1, we were looking at wisdom being our proficiency, how we're handling life, and we saw that how Understanding and knowledge was insight or perception, how we view things, how we're able to be able to distinguish truth from error. And as I said, I've been studying this matter over a month now, and, and I'm astounded at how much the Bible speaks about this matter of the fear of the Lord. And, and I can send you a list in a text, uh, maybe even later today, of some of these scriptures that relate to this. But especially in Proverbs, how much it talks about the fear of the Lord. And the other thing I realize is that the Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord in a very positive way. It's a positive thing. It's not one of those, oh, no, the fear of the Lord. It's we're excited about this. This is something thrilling. We get to talk and understand and respond to the fear of the Lord. Look at these references in Proverbs uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. How about this one? In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. This is what life is all about. <clears throat> and that one, one may turn away from the snares of death, those things that destroy Proverbs 14, verses 26 and 27. Or this one, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Boy, do Americans need that verse. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord, being content with a little, than having all these treasures and all the problems that come with it. Proverbs 15, verse 16. The fear of the Lord leads to life, there again. And whoever has it rests satisfied. Satisfaction is in the fear of the Lord, and he will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 19, verse 23. Again, these are Proverbs. These are truths that relate to life. The fear of the Lord, <clears throat> long life, confidence. There's a refuge, a place of safety that's a fountain. It just keeps on giving. It's satisfaction. There's protection. All these things are parts of this realization of the fear of the Lord. Would you keep your place there in Proverbs chapter 
uh, 9. But would you look back at Psalms, just the book right before the book of Proverbs. Psalm chapter 28, verse 1. Psalm 28, verse 1. So these are songs, these are poetry truths given to us to comprehend and to dwell on and to meditate and that there can be flowing truth flowing from us, almost in, in a song. <laughs> the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly. We just can't hold it all in. Look at how the psalmist says this. Blessed. You know what that word blessed means? Happy. Blessed is everyone. So this is, this is for everyone. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. There's blessing here. There's happiness in understanding and using and responding to this fear of the Lord. This is what the word of the Lord says. Look down at verse 4, that same chapter. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed, really happy, who fears the Lord. So that motivates me. I'm excited about this. I, I want to be happy. And knowing the fear of the Lord in this study is going to have a part in that. Really help me discover that. Do you want to be happy? What will it take, Christian? What will it take for you to really be happy? Your husband to change? Your children to stop doing things? Your boss to treat you better? Or, or just so you, you can feel better physically? Whatever. We have all these ideas of what it will. But have we ever considered this truth? Happiness is directly related to our understanding and the application of the fear of the Lord. How can we comprehend this kind of fear? A blessed, a happy fear. Well, let's start with a, a definition. I think it's a biblical definition. It's one I've worked on for a number of weeks now and continuing to morph, and you know how I am with those definitions. I'm thinking through something, and so in order to think about it, I want to have a definition, something to put my hands around. So here's the definition, and you can fill in some blanks in your outline there in your bulletin if you would like, but here's the definition. The fear of the Lord is the trustful awareness of the presence of God's power and love evidenced in an abiding worship, a life that goes on and on and on worshiping. We get to do these things in the presence of God. We're aware of Him. Not just of Him, but of His might and His awesomeness and His majesty and His genuine care and helpfulness and love for us. Put that together, and we're abiding in that. The fear of the Lord is the, tr the trusting awareness of the presence of God's power and love evidenced in an abiding spirit of worship. Now, certainly, as we look at this definition, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, Jehovah, this God who is everything, it may involve a component of dread. We may dread God's punishment resulting from our sin and shame, right? Adam and Eve understood that. They were afraid and they tried to hide from God because they were naked. Genesis 3. There was an awareness of a deficiency. 
And certainly the sinner should be dreading God's wrath. You know, Jonathan Edwards, his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, like we're just hanging on by a thread like a spider's thread, just, just ready to drop into the, the judgment of God. And it is an eternal judgment that Jesus calls hell. We should dread that judgment. God must punish sin. There's a a disobedience that faces God's wrath. Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6. Right? You should dread that. But... Is that what Proverbs is speaking of regarding the fear of the Lord and what Psalms is speaking of as something that is blessed? Maybe there are two ways to look at this. Would you look at Psalm 34? I just found this astounding as I was looking at this. Psalm 34. Maybe this will motivate you to come back and just dwell on this passage at length on your own. And look at two ways of looking at fear right here in this psalm. Psalm 34, verses 4 through 11. You'll see it on the screen. You can follow along in your scriptures as well. Or you can just listen. Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from what? All my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. They're really happy. And their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried... And the Lord heard him. And what did the Lord do? Saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And what happens? Delivers them. There's salvation. There's deliverance. And certainly this, there's a physical component to this, but there's eternal salvation component as well that, that the, the psalmist is referencing here, this, this deliverance, this, this gospel help. And then keep on reading. So there's one way to look at the, the deliverance that comes from this judgment that you know you have to face. But then notice... Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed or really happy is the man who takes refuge in Him, the one that we're fearing. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. They're self-dependent. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So there are two ways to look at this. There's the fear of judgment, but then there's the fear that's a blessedness. And what is it that helps us to get to that point? Well, you have to have the gospel that the psalmist speaks of here, this gospel, this saving, this salvation, this deliverance that does not come through our efforts, but comes through the goodness, the grace of God. We, by faith, trust in God to do what we cannot do ourselves, and He gives us the gift of His righteousness. He gives us the gift of everlasting life because Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, to 
face the judgment that a holy God places on sin, He took the wrath, He bore the wrath, so that we could experience God's goodness. That's the gospel. And in order to deal with the bad news of our judgment of sin, we have to understand the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's the whole story of the Bible. God created us to be with Him. We messed it up in our sinfulness, yet God made a promise, I'm going to fix that. Even though you deserve judgment, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to send the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah, the only one who can save you, and He's going to die on the cross, pay the penalty for your sin, and offer to you a gift of everlasting life. And He says, just take it. It's free. This is the gospel. So the gospel deliver us, delivers us from something that is very fearful, but prepares us to understand and comprehend a greater fear. So think of the gospel as something that helps you go deeper, beyond your surface fears, to a fear of the Lord. Again, let's look at our text. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we come to Him through the gospel, and we're going to start to get a comprehension of what life is all about. And the knowledge of the holy is insight. Remember, those two statements go together in a very unique way to help us discover something here. And I'm asking, why is this so important? And also then, how am I going to get this? There was an old-time Baptist from, oh, the 1600s. Um, he was a man that was not very popular or well-liked in his day. In fact, he was thrown in prison time after time just because he was preaching this book, the Bible, that we open up freely here and discuss together. His name was John Bunyan. He wrote what you, many of you have read, Pilgrim's Progress, and he wrote many other things along the way as well. But he said that there is an ungodly fear that causes a continual grudging, discontent, and heart rising against God. It is afraid of Him because of His wrath against sin. It's a repulsion. And we see that all around us. I don't want anything to do with God. Why? Because there's a, there's a fear. This is an ungodly fear, according to Bunyan. And it has a great hand in keeping the soul from trusting only in Christ's righteousness for justification for life. It's a very self-serving, I want to get away from God. But Bunyan went on to say that there is a godly fear. There's an ungodly fear that tries to run from God and hide from God. And then there is a godly fear that is an awareness of God's goodness. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I will teach you the fear of the Lord, Psalm 34. And it, and it, it produces an, an awesome reverence of His majesty. What a God! Oh, great God! Occupy my lowly heart. He said this, Godly fear takes us to a place where we see God as good. So that's what I want us to dwell on the rest of the way. There's something to dread, the judgment of God. Jesus is the answer for that. But then there's so much more of discovering this fear of the Lord that's so good, so blessed. 
Godly fear views God as the source of the greatest good in life. Finding this goodness is where that happiness is. Let me just share my story a bit here. God was very good to me. In so many ways, I don't deserve it all. He gave me some great parents, Joe and Polly Wood. God's hand was on them in some marvelous ways to prepare the way for me. (laughs) I understood the fear of discipline. My parents disciplined me in a good way. And I was fearful of that discipline. I didn't like that pain. Now we'll see later in a study to come the, the value of discipline as it relates to comprehending what's good for the long run. And we'll see that in Proverbs and in Hebrews here in about two weeks. I understood that fearfulness. That, that was as a child, as a little kid, how my parents disciplined me. It was painful. It was something to be avoided. I got that. But then I grew up. And there was a relationship developing with me and my parents and how they sacrificed for me, how they, 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 they literally went out of their way to provide for me, to help me, to give me, give me the best possible education, the, the best comprehension of God through His Word in a local church, uh, providing discipline and understanding of what it meant to work and, and family devotions and, and praying together and my dad was just an encourager. He, had, he wasn't perfect, but he was trying to encourage me through high school and into college. And my whole view of what my parents were changed from when I was a little boy, which was, <gasps> I don't want to get in trouble, to look what they've done for me. And my dread was not, oh, I might get a spanking. My dread was, I don't want to break my mom's heart. After all they've done for me, how could I dare disappoint them or shame them? So with that concept of life in mind, this fear of the Lord in a positive sense really did make sense to me in that context. When you know someone loves you and and you fear doing anything that might shame them, you begin to understand a good fear. So then you can understand why this caught my attention. As as I was studying through this, there's a terminology that's used in theology, and it's called filial fear. And it's designed around the idea of respecting a parent who cares for you, and you appreciate them. Now, this is foreign in our culture, in America, Any representation you see of a dad in the media or in the movies or on video, he's a joke. He's he's something to be avoided. You don't want anything. There's nothing good there to learn from him. Our culture has lost filial fear. It's not uh, many places you go in the world, they still understand this. Many places in Africa, if you go, they have great reverence and appreciation for the older generation, particularly the fathers. Korea, 
you go there, there's great respect for a parent. And most of Asia, I think, is still that under, they, they get this. But this is a foreign concept to us. That you could think of a father as, as a good thing. Maybe your experiences in, in childhood were of abuse or of, of harshness or, or, or of neglect or whatever, and you, you were just kind of in the way, and you don't get this filial fear. Maybe you don't have a good story, but you don't have to let that or our culture determine how you think. You can let the Word of God determine how you think. And this is how Jesus taught us in the New Testament. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There was, a, there was a reverence for the Father. He was expressing reverence for His eternal Father, the Son. And Jesus went on to teach us to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, everything about us to, to, to love Him, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. In fact, he, he summarized the Old Testament with those two commands. Love the Lord, love others. Love God, who is to be respected. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. He just kept on going with this. And in John chapter 14, just before Jesus went to the cross, there in the upper room, he was instructing his disciples, emphasizing them to, to them what was really important to keep in mind. And he said, abide in me, and my words abide in you. And went through that whole section and introduced the work of the Holy Spirit in making much of Jesus Christ. And here's where it clicked. The Old Testament makes a big deal repeatedly about fearing the Lord. And Jesus expands on that in different terminology about how he responds and how we respond to the Father that we would understand what it means to please him and to abide in his presence. And so my understanding of what the Old Testament expresses as the fear of the Lord is what Jesus taught about knowing Him and abiding in His love. So that brings me back to the definition again. The fear of the Lord is a trustful or a trusting awareness of the presence of God's power and love evidenced as I'm abiding in Him, worshiping Him. This presence of God's power and His love is overwhelming. And it's motivating. And it's exciting. It's not something to be dreaded. It's something to be desired. Now, what will help us know if this is happening? If we're getting there? What will help us comprehend the fear of the Lord? What are the identifying factors that indicate that we are comprehending the fear of the Lord and this is happening? Well, it involves 
knowing who God is. So start with that. Know who God is. His attributes. His attributes. Name them for me. Just some that come to your mind quickly here. His attributes. He is all-knowing. He is loving. He is holy. He is omnipotent, omnipresent. trustworthy, dependable, on and on and on. You can go with these things. As you search the Word, you can adore Him because of who He is. His attribute, His ways, His accomplishments, His promises, the prophecies, all of Scripture points you to knowing who God is. And Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this is really where it is to know who God is. He is our creator. Know that the Lord, He is God. He it is that made us and not we ourselves. He is creator. Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He's the one in charge of who I am. I don't, deserve, I don't discern my identity. God does. He made me. He's my creator. He rules. You know what that means? When, it says, when I said He rules, God never says, oops. He does all things well. And so in your life, it's not going to be the first time where God has to say, oops, I messed up. He doesn't do that. He reigns supreme. He rules in majesty. He is sovereign. That is our God. Know who God is. He's our creator. He rules. He, he judges righteously. And this gives me hope. Psalm 96, verse 6. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. He is a beautiful God. He is the Savior. He didn't have to come and provide for us a rescue from our sin, but he did. He, as God, said, I'm going to love you. I'm going to send my son to die in your place so you don't have to face the judgment and the dread. And I want you to be with me forever. And I promise you everlasting life. And I go to prepare a place for you. He is our Savior. And He is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Good in every way. Know God. Number two. Understand what God wants. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to please Him. Thought about that? Pleasing Jesus? Colossians 1, verse 10. Our young people memorized the whole chapter of Colossians. And in the middle of this is a key component to the whole motivation for life. Would you look at that? Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. In the New Testament, after Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Walk worthy. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is his prayer, that, that these believers would walk worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Jesus, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
Understand what God wants. Whether at home or away, 2 Corinthians 5.9, whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And number three, sense God's presence. This is huge. These are the components that when these are happening, we're beginning to grasp, wow, this fear of God is a good thing. When you know who He is, when you know what He wants, and you know where He is, God is with us. Jesus said, I will never leave you. Abide in me. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And this is a gift that God gave the children of Israel, and they ignored it. They kind of checked out on the presence of God. We read in, in Exodus, in fact, you have this reference, you can refer to it more, but, but the Lord appeared to Israel, and, and they saw the great power of the Lord in Exodus 14, verse 31, that He used against the Egyptians, so that the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and His servant Moses. God was very real to them. Look what God just did. And He was right there in their midst, in the cloud and the fire that guided them along. And later in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, we read, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, as in dread, for God has come to test you that, that the fear of Him may be before you. This is the thing that's going to motivate us so that we do not sin. And He was right there in their presence, and He gave them the tabernacle, later the temple, to be there with them at that Ark of the Covenant, that He would be there, and they couldn't see, but they could see the evidence and, and the angels worshiping God was with them, and the, the pillar of fire and the cloud by day and the pillar of, fire, pillar of fire by night, and God was there. Yet they checked out. It's like, we don't care about that. And even though God was still there, they checked out again and again. And that's the story of Israel. As you read through the, the entire Old Testament, the children of Israel just kept on checking out. And they forgot that's in, that it's in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. And at His right hand there are pleasures evermore. And the one thing that is to be desired is to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His tabernacle or in His temple or in His presence. So that's, that's the story of the Bible as it relates to man's sinfulness. We just check out. We forget that God's there or that God is here. We just check out. In 1 Corinthians, in the New Testament, we read that we are the temple of God. He is dwelling. Every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And we are bought with a price, and therefore we are to glorify Him because we are God's temple, right? Then you read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So Paul is saying, hey, well, even when I'm not there, listen to what I'm saying. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, is trembling here as in an oh no thing, or is it as an excitement? Uh, Jordan and Shannon have a little puppy uh, named Archer. And Archer, when he comes over to Grandma and Grandpa's house, he is really excited. And he is just jumping out of his skin. And you can look at him, and he's just trembling. He's so happy. That's the way we come into the Lord's presence. 
with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He's there. He's with you. This is what pleases Him. So this is really interesting. You should fear and tremble because God is working to keep you pleasing Him. This is an awareness of the awesome presence of God in our lives, working for us, not against us. This should produce that excitement, that joy, this motivation, God's love motivating. So the New Testament treats the fear of God as a, an abiding love and awareness of His power so that we're motivated not to turn away from Him, but to Him. We're drawn into His presence. So two questions. Why do we just keep on doing like the children of Israel do and just check out from the awareness of the joyful presence of the Lord? Why do we do that? Why do we check out, shut down, forget? This happens all the time. Even sitting right here, you may be checked out. You're not really engaged in who God is, what God wants, and where He is right now with you. Why do we check out? Listen to this, Proverbs 28, verse 14, our Proverbs study. Blessed, or really happy, is the one who fears the Lord always. Whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Be honest. The reason you check out is you want your sin. We think, this will make me happy, this lust, or this passion, or this have-to-have, this goal. What? Wrong. Proverbs 23, verse 17. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Don't check out. It's so much better in the fear of the Lord. Knowing who God is, knowing what God wants, and abiding in His presence. It's so much better. The fear of the Lord is trustful awareness of the presence of God's power and love, and it's evidenced in abiding worship. We get to be with Jesus and to praise Him. In fact, that's what we'll do in heaven. We'll sing with the angels. We'll sing with the crowd. Worthy is the Lamb. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and blessing. God, You are what really is what makes me happy. So what will help us delight in the fear of the Lord? This question. What will help us delight in the fear of the Lord? So this, hang with me just a little bit longer. I'm going a little bit longer today on purpose because there's so much here. And I told you it was going to be a fire hose. and You want to come back and review it some more. But come back to Proverbs chapter 2. We'll just start reading in the beginning of the chapter. And I want you to notice something in verse 5. Proverbs chapter 2. So we're looking at what Proverbs teaches us about the fear of the Lord. And how it's such a beautiful thing. Start reading in verse 1 of Proverbs 2. You see it there in your Bible? It's not on your screen. Or listen very carefully now. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, 
Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, so this is something that you're pursuing with all that you have. Look at verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. There are those two things together again, wisdom and the knowledge of God. You will find the knowledge of God. So keep that in mind as we look at our text again. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You have the knowledge of who He is. You have the knowledge of what He wants, please Jesus, and the knowledge of where He is right here within you, dwelling as the temple of God. What will make you happy? Satisfied? Complete? Delight in that knowledge of God. It helps you comprehend the fear of the Lord. A right fear of the Lord loves God delights in fellowship with the Holy Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and has a sincere longing to be with Him always in His presence is fullness of joy, and thereby pleasing Him. You know, I don't often quote Spurgeon just because everybody else does. <laughs> All right. But I came across something a few weeks back that just said it perfectly. Speaking of the the fear of God, he said, it's a sense of the presence of God, a conscience that prompts one to say, Thou God seest me. And it fosters in the soul a healthy fear, which you can easily see would rather inspirit than intimidate a man. It's a filial, childlike fear in the presence of one whom we deeply reverence lest we should do anything contrary to his mind and will. So then there is a fear which arises out of a high appreciation of God's character and a fear of the same kind which arises out of a sense of his presence. Holy fear leads us to dread anything which might cause our Father's displeasure. That's a message we need repeated today. On Father's Day, we have a Heavenly Father who is holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. And He loves us. And He's with us. And we can please Him. And that makes us happy. We read in Ecclesiastes, the end of the book. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. If you look there, you'll probably see that word duty is in, parent or in italics because it's added for understanding. But I think one of the interpretations is if you want to find wholeness, fear God and please Jesus and enjoy Him in the process.
Lord, we need so much this message to excite us about pleasing you and being in your presence. May we comprehend the fear of the Lord. I would ask you to bow your head and dwell on these things for just a few moments. And again, ask yourself the question, what is it that you're looking for to make you happy? And ask yourself, are you searching for the knowledge of God? The will of God? And the awareness of God right here? Within your soul? Maybe you've not met Jesus yet. Let me just invite you to turn your heart to him. God, I've had that dread of, of you. I don't want to face you. I know that there, to, to point out a man wants to die and after this, the judgment. I, I, and I have a dread of that. But would you see the message of the Bible is to give you an answer for that dread so that you can understand the, the goodness of God. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just start with childlike faith and say, Jesus, I want what you have for me. I know I'm a sinner. I admit that. I believe that, Jesus, you are God in the flesh who died on the cross for my sin. You rose from the grave. You conquered the sin penalty, and you offer me life everlasting if I'll simply turn to you and believe. Jesus, I want that. I come. I come. And then from there, you can begin growing in the knowledge of God, knowing what pleases Him, and enjoying Him every moment of every day. And that is true happiness. So let me invite you to turn your faith and trust to Jesus right now. If you're already a believer, would you examine your life and what it is that you turn to for happiness. Are you following the lie? Or are you following the love of God? Lord, use your word to help us to be in awe of you. Move in our hearts to want you. Protect us from so many things that keep us from that. May we seek you and find you when we search for you with all of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.